0: Please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 11, verse 29. One will wonder as we get into the sermon whether we're ever going to get to this verse. Um, I have much to, to say even before we get to this verse, but we will get to it. Romans 11, 29, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The ongoing bloody war between Israel and various Palestinian groups uh, may involve different issues, various issues. If you talk to one group, you may get more than one issue that really is at the root of these bloody conflicts. But one important issue seems to stand out, and that is who is entitled to the land inhabited by the Israelis and the Palestinians? The questions that come up from a biblical perspective or amongst christians bible believing christians would be questions like this is god's promise of the land to israel in the old testament is that their title to the land in all circumstances and under all conditions even when israel is living in rebellion against the lord Or perhaps another question, is God's promise of the land only realized when Israel as a nation is walking in faithfulness to the covenant that God has made with Israel in the new covenant now, uh, which is in substance the same uh, with the Abrahamic covenant? Or maybe this question, is the land... That was promised to Israel realized in the church in our everlasting inheritance in heaven or is it a combination of one of those or both two of those questions that were asked just now well over the next couple sermons We will seek, by God's grace, uh, to just answer, praying that God will grant us his wisdom to deal faithfully with his truth in answering these questions. Our main points this Lord's Day are these. First of all, an historical overview of the land of Israel. And the second main point, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, Romans 11.29. So first of all, an historical overview of the land of Israel. Now, I could say much more than what I'm about to say, but I have tried to give both a biblical Uh, perspective as well as moving beyond the pages of Scripture what has happened subsequent to the completion of the Canon of Scripture historically with regard to the land of Israel and so this is again could be much longer but maybe you'll consider it to be tedious hopefully not but this is uh, my submission to you of an overview of the land of Israel. We begin in the Old Testament, of course, with the land that was given to Abraham as a part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Previously, it was inhabited by various Canaanite nations. uh, And even at the time of Abraham, so it was. Abraham was promised the land the covenant God made with him, an everlasting covenant, Uh, we read in Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 through 8, that God would uh, give to Abraham a seed, posterity, and particularly a unique seed, which points to the Lord Jesus Christ, who would bring salvation to all nations. And God promised to be Abraham's God, and the God of his seed, his posterity that would come from Abraham. And he also promised to give to Abraham and his posterity uh, the land in which Abraham dwelt as an everlasting possession, God said. In Genesis 15, the Lord tells us that Abraham was without child and Abraham wondered how this would all come to pass, that, that he would be able to inherit um, uh, the land, how he would have uh, such a multitude of descendants. And the Lord said, look up in the sky, see if you can count the stars, so will be your posterity. Uh, beyond being able to count and to be able to number. And we read in verse 7 that the Lord actually gives the boundaries of the land that he promised to Abraham and to his posterity. And he says, He said unto him, that is God said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? So here is the uh, question. And God, in the next several verses, then gives to Abram at this time, not yet Abraham, his name has not yet been changed, but gives to Abram at that time Uh, a sign, a token, that God will keep and fulfill His promise. Uh, He tells Abram to take certain animals and to divide them into parts. Put one uh, part on this side, put another part of the animal on the other side, and to do that with each of the animals uh, that God said for him to take. and the Lord brought upon Abram a, a deep sleep, and as he slept, again, this was God's token that he was going to keep his promise. Uh, there was darkness, but God appeared in the form of a flame, a torch that then passed through the midst of those, of those uh, divided animals. Uh, that was a way of uh, making covenant. Uh, the word, to make a covenant in the Old Testament, literally is to cut a covenant, cut. It has in view this idea of cutting animals and walking through them and saying, let this happen to me if I do not keep the covenant that I have made. It was God that walked through, as it were. He didn't take Abraham through. It was God that went through the covenant, uh, through the divided pieces of those animals. By himself Uh, basically again sealing um, giving uh, a seal uh, confirmation that he would keep his covenant with Abram and with his posterity as I said then the Lord goes on to describe the the land in verse 18 and following in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying under thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt that is the Nile Unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Raphaims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So those were uh, the boundaries of the land that the Lord promised uh, to Abraham and his posterity. We move then from Abram and Abraham. Uh, to the time of Moses where the covenant that God made with Abraham is renewed with uh, Moses and with Israel. God calls Israel to be a nation, a holy nation unto Him, separate from all the nations of the world in uh, in worshiping and following Him. Uh, They were a chosen people In Deuteronomy chapter seven verses six through eight. The Lord says, For thou art an holy people, or Moses says, Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, and I'll interject, your fathers being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then he continues, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt? And at the end of Joshua's life, who was the one who brought Israel into the promised land, into the land that God had promised to give uh, to Abram and his posterity. At the end of Joshua's life, he made it clear to Israel, as had Moses earlier in Leviticus 26 and in Deuteronomy 28, that faith and obedience, faith and obedience to the Lord would issue forth in God's blessing upon Israel and remaining within the land, in prospering, within the land, in peace. But on the other hand, unbelief and rebellion against the Lord and his word would bring God's judgment upon Israel. And they would be removed from the land. Joshua 23, verses 15 through 16, Joshua says, Therefore it shall come to pass, that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things, until he have destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you. When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, Then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly, notice, from off the good land, which he hath given unto you. In other words, only by faith in the Lord, by repentance, and by renewed love and obedience to the Lord, would Israel continue in the land, or even If they fell away and were removed from the land, would they be restored back to the land with God's blessing to dwell there in peace and safety and security in serving the Lord? This is what, again, we find in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 through 44. Notice, the Lord says, If they shall confess their iniquity... This is coming after the Lord has already said, due to their rebellion and sin, they've been cast out of the land. He's he's saying that if they do so, they will be cast out of the land of Israel for the rebellion against him. But now comes what happens if they repent. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, And also my covenant with Abraham will I remember. And I will remember the land. The land also shall be left of them and shall enjoy her Sabbath while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity because even because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. Though the land was given by God to Israel as an everlasting possession, and the covenant made with Abraham. Living at peace within the land was only going to be enjoyed throughout Israel's history when Israel walked in faith and obedience and loved to the Lord their God and kept his covenant and his commandments. In Jeremiah chapter 18 verses 6 through 10, we read, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turned from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. We can think of Nineveh, right? Uh, They repented after 40 days. Jonah proclaiming, and God's judgment did not fall upon Nineveh. They turned, and even though God said that judgment was going to fall upon them, he turned from his wrath and from his judgment. And so likewise with Israel. When Israel walks in loving obedience and faith and trust in the Lord, God will bless her, will restore her, will give her safety and blessing within the land. But when she is rebellious and turns against the Lord, the Lord will bring judgment upon her and will remove her from the land. You see, God reserved the right to judge and to, re- and to remove Israel from the land when Israel rebelled against them, which occurred, for example, in the northern kingdoms, the uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel. uh, They were removed from the land in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. Judah was likewise judged by the Lord and led into captivity by the Babylonians, and the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. However... God's promise of the land to Israel was not, even though those events occurred, God's promise of the land to Israel was not forever rescinded and terminated when they were driven from the land by the Assyrians and Babylonians for God brought them back to possess the land under the Persians when a faithful remnant of God's people returned to rebuild the temple and Jerusalem in 537 B.C. As the psalmist declares, God remembered his covenant. God was faithful to his covenant. He never promised that Israel will remain in the land regardless of what Israel does. But what he promised was that he would be faithful to his covenant. And when Israel repents, when Israel turns to Christ, even though they have been judged, even when they've been exiled from the land, and when they turn in faith and trust to him, that he will restore them, he will save them, and they will live in their land in peace, and security, as will all the nations of the world. Psalm 105, verses 8 through 11, says, He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham, and his oath unto Isaac, and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Notice, saying unto thee, will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance for an everlasting covenant. Though Israel returned to the land, uh, even according to the promise of God, uh, under the Persians, they remained under the hand and under the yoke of thereafter various nations. They were not, again, uh, during this long extended period of time, uh, even though there was some identity, some national identity, they were never truly living in safety. Truly in enjoying the full benefits of the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, whether it was the Persians under their yoke from six thirty eight to three hundred thirty BC, or whether under the yoke of the Greeks thereafter, which under the yoke initially of of the Greek Empire, which split into four uh, divisions. Passing back and forth, we in the land of Palestine, there was that constant battle between the Syrians in the north, the Egyptians in the south, fighting over who would control Israel uh, in the middle. And so that was going on, uh, again, Uh, from about 330 B.C. to 140 B.C. However, under the rule of the Maccabees, there was a a revival. There was a a significant reformation in turning unto the Lord. And the Lord granted them a national autonomy, an identity, wherein, again, these various nations did not have authority uh, over uh, Israel from about 140 to 63 BC. Then the Roman and Byzantine empires ruled over Israel, the land of Israel, from about 63 BC to 600 AD. That encompasses the time of Christ, obviously, as well. The apostles, uh, the entire New Testament period of time is basically under the rule though again there's a sanhedrin though there is um, uh, some voice that israel has uh, to some degree they are under the yoke of rome they are not living in peace there there are yet conflicts uh, with the romans even um, riots uh, that occur uh, the jews as josephus indicates uh, with the romans and various at various times. Under Ro- Roman rule, uh, we've noted this, I think, in a past sermon. Under Roman rule, Israel revolted several times and sought its independence from Rome, but each time was crushed uh, with devastating results and massive slaughter of Israelis uh, and a scattering uh, of the Jews throughout the world, so that there, there, after all of these revolts, uh, there were very few uh, Jews left in the land at all. The first revolt uh, occurred between sixty-six and seventy-three A.D. That was when the temple was destroyed in seventy A.D. The second revolt of for independence. Uh, Was 115 to 117. The third revolt was 132 to 135. After that revolt, Israel was renamed um, Palestine by the Romans. A fourth revolt occurred in 351 to 352. Uh, All Jews. Uh, were eventually, again, this happened several times, but all Jews were once again expelled from Jerusalem by Roman Emperor uh, Heraclius in 629. The new religion of uh, Islam conquered the land then of of Israel, renamed Palestine in in 640. In 640. The land uh, uh, that we call Israel uh, passed back and forth from one uh, Muslim caliphate to another over the next 400 years until the Islamic Turks conquered Palestine in 1073. I, I think you, hopefully you are seeing again that uh, and we'll continue in just a moment, but the reason I'm going through the history is to show that Israel has not, in uh, God's people, uh, even Jews, um, the posterity of uh, Abraham, have not occupied the land of Israel for so much of the history of that land. Uh, They have been subjugated, they've been driven out of the land, and... By this time, uh, the Islamic uh, invasion of this part of of the world, uh, there there are very few um, Jews uh, in the land. The Crusades, then, uh, occurred from about 1095 uh, to 1291, were sponsored by the papacy in order to gain control of the Holy Land from um, Muslims, and to make the Holy Land a Christian province. Control of the Holy Land passed back and forth, back and forth, from the Crusaders to the Islamic Turks and to other Islamic factions uh, during this period of time. Uh, by By the time of the end of the Crusades, very few Jewish families lived, again, in the land Uh, It is noted uh, by historians, uh, as few as a 1,000 poor Jewish families lived in the whole land of Palestine at that time. And then over the next 200 years, after 1291, the land again passed back and forth, back and forth, between different Islamic factions vying for power and authority uh, over um, Jerusalem and over the land of Palestine. The Islamic uh, Ottoman Empire gained control over the Islamic world and over the Byzantine Empire and took control of the Holy Land in 1516. And though the Ottoman Empire ruled over the Holy Land for the greater part of the next 400 years, there was once again constant battles among Islamic factions uh, to seize control from the Ottoman Turks and so that went back and forth as well over the next 400 years, primarily though the Ottoman Empire ruling and controlling that area of the world. Uh, And then even uh, Napoleon uh, gained a temporary, uh, for a few years, control of the Holy Land in the early 19th uh, century. It was not until after World War I in 1922 that the Holy Land was removed from the control of the Ottoman Turks and placed under the rule of Great Britain by way of a mandate from the League of Nations. Britain administered control of Palestine according to this mandate from the League of Nations, Uh, France according to the mandate, had control of Syria in the north, and Britain had control of Palestine to the south. And that continued until 1948, when the Charter of the United Nations recognized the state of Israel. According to records, I found this very interesting, according to records, at that time in 1948, uh, at 1900, earlier, around 1900, according to records, 95% of the population uh, in Palestine were Arabs. 5% were Jews. By 1948, uh, due to the emigration of many Jews to the land of um, Palestine or Israel, By that time, 1948, 68% of the population were Arabs and 32% were Jews. Still half um, the size uh, by way of Jews to Arabs in 1948. The Jews, though, in uh, the minority were divided the greater proportion of the Holy Land. Arab Palestinians refused to accept uh, the United Nations Charter, claiming the division of the land was unfair. 700,000 Palestinians were forced to flee uh, their homes, their cities, and their villages because they were now in that land that had been, by charter, given to Israel, forced to flee their homes that they had had for centuries. For many, many generations, they were forced to flee their homes. They became refugees, not having any home, not having any place to go at that time. The violence and wars, as we all know, have continued since then over who is entitled to the land. The Jews claiming a right to the land from the time of their ancient forefathers of Israel. The Palestinians claiming a right to the land by way of being uh, the vastly predominant inhabitants for the past 1,500 plus years, at least until 1948. What a tumultuous history there has been over the land, and there still is. And yet, is this not exactly what God promised would happen by way of the blessings and the curses of the covenant? There would be blessing of peace in the land when Israel was faithful to the Lord their God and walking in obedience, and walking in faith and trust in the Lord and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there would be judgment that would fall upon Israel by way of the curse. If they do not keep that covenant with the Lord, they would be removed from the, from the land. And we'll talk about what, what about them being in the land now. Is that not a sign of God's blessing? Since it has been re as a nation in the land, is that not a sign of God's blessing? Well, how can it be God's blessing upon Israel when Israel is yet a Christ-rejecting nation? And according to Romans 11:28, 28, an enemy, an enemy of the gospel, an enemy of God. How can it be a sign of God's blessing You see, Jesus pronounced judgment upon Israel and upon uh, the temple and upon uh, the nation in Jerusalem in Matthew chapters 23 through 24. And we know of the devastation that fell in 70 AD. This was again God's covenant judgment upon Israel for their rejection of the Lord Jesus and all the subsequent history Of Israel, even to the present time, is God's righteous and holy judgment upon a covenant-breaking nation. I ask, what has changed with Israel now that Israel is in the land with regard to Israel's faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Nothing has changed now that Israel is in the land. It is still the same nation that as a nation despises and hates the Lord Jesus Christ. There ones, the promises of God, as we've already looked at the Old Testament record, the promises of God's blessing upon Israel are not while Israel is un- in unbelief but rather when Israel looks in faith and trust to Christ and repents of her sin and rejecting him, according to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, speaking of a time in the future when there will be a great group coalition of nations that will come against Israel. And God will rescue and will save Israel when this happens. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Then and only then will Israel enjoy the blessings of of the covenant the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant the blessings of the new covenant which is in substance the same with the Abrahamic covenant there is coming as I just noted a national judgment upon Israel Israel, Israel is is not going to escape God's judgment For her unbelief, there is going to come a judgment upon Israel in her unbelieving state while she is in the land, according to Zechariah chapters 12 through 14. While she is in the land. We've looked at this in a previous sermon. If you don't remember and you'd like to review that, you can go back to that previous sermon. And so God's judgment is still upon Israel, even though she is in the land. The blessing of God is not simply being in the land. The blessing of God is being in the land in faith, in love, in obedience to Jesus Christ. Then she will have safety, then she will have prosperity, then she will be free from danger from other nations. She will dwell safely in the land. She doesn't dwell safely in the land now. That's because she is under God's judgment. We're very familiar, I think, with this passage, but notice what it has to do with the land. 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And will heal their land. And that's what is promised in Zechariah fourteen eleven, when Israel turns unto the Lord Jesus Christ Then we find, and men shall dwell in it in Jerusalem, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited then. The present nation of Israel in the land, therefore, is not God's covenant blessing upon Israel, but is awaiting God's covenant judgment. And from that judgment she will cry out to the lord and god will save her will forgive her and all israel shall be saved the second main point and this will go a little more quickly the gifts and calling of god are without repentance in romans 11:29 <clears throat> The question of whether God's future blessing of Israel uh, will not only include her national conversion, but uh, that future blessing of Israel. Uh, will also involve her national dwelling where she lives where she dwells and that is in the land that's not again uh, this question of israel receiving this blessing from god and and the land being restored converted to the lord jesus brought into the church of jesus christ and being restored to the land in safety uh, and in worship of, of the one true living God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there is controversy amongst Bible-believing Christians over this issue. Uh, it's not, uh, again, all Bible-believing Christians that believe that Israel will be restored to the land as that being part of the, the promise that God has made. As we'll note Lord willing, in the next sermon, there are those who uh, view the promises made to Israel in the Old Testament as realized in the church and in uh, that heavenly uh, promised land. And so, again, I don't want to uh, have you assume that this is the only interpretation. There are very fine, sound uh, biblical teachers past and present that do not necessarily agree that Israel will be restored to the land. But we will, as I said, uh, uh, address that. So this issue, I do not believe, is a test of one's orthodoxy. I believe that we can uh, disagree over this particular issue. It's certainly not an issue that is settled in our... um, in the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Catechisms, though it speaks of the calling of the Jews, of their conversion, it doesn't say what happens to them whether with regard to the land. But I, I submit to you, again, this is not a new or novel position that, that I'm proposing or that we're considering here. James Durham, uh, who lived from to 6, uh, 1622 to 1658, Faithful minister in the Church of Scotland writes in his commentary on Romans uh, on Revelation 16:12. He says, "Neither can that promise made to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 2 through 4, and I'd ask if you're going to look that up, add verse 5. Deuteronomy 32 through 5, that whenever they should repent, Israel." Whenever they should repent, the Lord would gather them from the nations, whether they were scattered, and return them to their land. Be thought void and null after Christ's coming, especially considering the general repentance and mourning, which is to accompany their conversion. Therefore, it would seem by that promise, they may expect their own land, it being a part of God's engagement to the natural seed of Abraham. Now, someone may say, well, where is the land? We've we've considered in a number of sermons, Romans chapter 11, where is the word land used in Romans 11? Or where in the New Testament is the word land used with regard to that which the Lord will restore to Israel when Israel repents. Well, I would uh, agree we do not find explicitly the word land used in the New Testament with regard to the restoration uh, and conversion of Israel. However, as we've worked our way through Romans 11, the name Israel refers to the nation of Israel. It doesn't refer to a small group of Israel. It doesn't refer to a remnant. In fact, Israel in Romans 11 is used in contrast to a remnant. Uh, It is used in contrast to the nations. Uh, And so we ought to understand Israel in Romans, I would even go farther back, 9 through 11, Israel refers to the nation of Israel. For example, Romans chapter eleven verse two. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel? Was that when Elijah made um, at you know the uh, Mount Carmel? and uh, uh, the fire coming down from heaven, that was against Israel as a nation, not a small group of Israel or a small portion of the people. That was against Israel as a nation. So Israel there refers to the nation. Verse 7, there's the next use of Israel in Romans 11. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So here is Israel used, That's the greater body, the nation of Israel, has been blinded. Whereas, again, the election, the remnant, were not blinded. um, And they have obtained uh, that uh, salvation through Jesus Christ. So here Israel, again, uh, is contrasted as a nation to a small believing remnant. Verse 25 of Romans 11, Paul says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. It's obviously not talking about blindness to the believing remnant. They, They already see is not talking about blindness to the church or the new Israel composed of of, uh, Jews and Gentiles because they also already see, they already believe. So here the blindness that's fallen upon Israel is the greater portion of Israel, the nation of Israel that has been blinded. But again, what does the word Israel mean or to whom does it refer? To the nation of Israel. And then when we come to verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. Uh, again, uh, because all the previous references point to Israel as a nation and being blinded, and we are told in the previous verse that that blindness will only continue until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought into the church, and so in this way all Israel uh, as a nation shall be saved. So as the casting away refers to Israel as a nation in Romans 11, so likewise the saving of all Israel refers to Israel as a nation. Now, if Paul is describing the saving of Israel as a nation, which not only have we sought to do very quickly just now, but we have spent... uh, uh, better part of sermons recently trying to establish that particular truth that the saving of Israel is the saving of Israel as a nation. And if that is the case, then is it not most likely uh, the, that the Christian nation of Israel would have a land? If it's a nation that is being saved, doesn't a nation have a land? Uh, doesn't a nation have boundaries? If, if a nation does not have boundaries, can we really call it a nation? We can call it an ethnic group, uh, like gypsies, uh, or various dispersed ethnic groups throughout the world who tend to come together in certain uh, cities and, and to, to live and dwell among, uh, uh, with one another, uh, but we wouldn't call that a nation. Uh, And yet, again, though the word nation is not used in Romans 11, uh, we have identified that that's what is being spoken of here. And I would uh, again say that that implies, that implies a nation has a government. A nation has boundaries. God has promised that he will, in fact, that he will um, not cause Israel to cease as a nation forever, but will fulfill his covenant promises to her as a nation. Jeremiah 31, verses 35 through 37. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, speaking of the sun by day, the moon by night, the stars, if those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel all shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. The Lord is saying that as these ordinances I have established in the heavens will continue, that I will not cast Israel out forever from being a nation. That he will restore Israel as a nation. That's his promise. He compares it to that which that we can see that God has not altered or changed with regard to the sun, the moon, and the stars. Though Israel as a nation in the land certainly has vanished as we've looked at her history, Uh, we have seen that Israel has vanished from the land for a greater part of its history by way of God's judgment. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, she has not perpetually, forever, ceased as a nation. For God has promised she will not forever cease as a nation. And if she will not forever cease as a nation, then she must have a government. And she must have boundaries as well. If Israel did not possess the land at all times in the Old Testament, let alone in the New Testament period as we have seen, how is it an everlasting possession according to the covenant made to Abraham? Well, God can make a promise that covenantally the land has been given to Israel and he will fulfill his promise even if he brings judgment for her disobedience, even if he drives her out of the land, even if he brings enemies against her until she repents. That doesn't mean that the the covenant that was made with Abraham by the Lord will fail to be realized that, again, God has given to Israel the land as an everlasting possession. It will be restored to her in peace, in salvation, yet. In the Old Testament, in Zechariah, again, I won't go into detail. I will refer you to a sermon we preached on this recently. In Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, there we see that this is referring, again, not at the time of Zechariah, this is referring to the time after Christ, because he is the one who will come uh, uh, to Israel and to the nations. Zechariah two ten through 12, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. That to be joined to the Lord is to be in covenant uh, as nations with the Lord, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, that is uh, Israel, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee, And notice, and the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the Holy Land and shall choose Jerusalem again. God will fulfill his promise that he made. Even though he judges her during this period of time of unbelief, casts her uh, about, brings enemies against her, and she will be even overwhelmed by those enemies yet in the future, God will restore her in the Holy Land. He will choose her again. He will come to her and save her again. Likewise, in Isaiah 19, we saw that God promised that Israel, Egypt, and Assyria as nations will covenant together to be God's people. Uh, that is, again, never happened. That they have all covenanted to be uh, nations that serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If Egypt is is a nation with a land that will covenant with the Lord, then so is Israel, a nation that will covenant with the Lord and have a land as well and live in covenantal peace with Egypt and Assyria. So as we briefly consider Romans 11:29 <clears throat> Remember what Paul has said in verse 28. 11:28 28 says, as concerning the gospel they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election they are beloved for the father's sakes. And then in verse 29 for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Israel is an enemy of God in regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that same Israel that is presently an enemy is at the same time elect and beloved for the sake of the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is in substance the same with the new covenant. Thus, God's judgment presently rests upon Israel as a nation due to her being God's enemy. And yet her election, her election as a nation through God's covenant means that God is not finished. He's not finished with her as a nation. God has a plan to save the nation of Israel. All Israel shall be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and the new covenant in his blood which is the gospel, to the blessing of not only Israel, but to the blessing of all nations throughout the world as she is brought into the church of Jesus Christ as a Christian nation. Romans 11:29. 29. This is Paul's reason for believing that God will save Israel, as he has said in verse 26. This is the reason. Uh, that Paul says, that God will save all Israel. That is because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, irrevocable. Irrevocable. It has nothing to do with Israel's faithfulness. It has everything to do with God's faithfulness to keep his promise to a nation that he has chosen even a rebellious nation that he has chosen. Yes, he judges, but if he has promised to restore her, if he has promised to save her, that he will do as well. If he has promised a land to her in conjunction with her serving the Lord in faithfulness, that he will do as well. The calling of God speaks of Israel's Election as a chosen nation in Isaiah 45.4. five four says, Israel, mine elect. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8a, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. You see... That's irrevocable. The fact that he chose them. Paul says it's without repentance. He can't unchoose them. He can't, having elected them to be a, uh, his people, a nation that he will save, he can't unelect or not elect them. They are elect, chosen to salvation as a people, as a nation. Likewise, the gifts are irrevocable. The gifts to Israel include the promises made to her in the covenant God made with Abraham and the the fathers. And so the promises, which include the land as an everlasting possession, include that God would be their God and, and that they would be his people, include a seed that would come from from uh, Abraham, a seed that would bring salvation uh, throughout the world, the Lord Jesus. Those promises are irrevocable, are without repentance. Those are the gifts that Paul's, uh, at least partially, if not more gifts, but at least those that were made to Abraham in Genesis 17, verses 7 through 8. Spiritual blessings, yes, but even a land has their inheritance. And I would just submit to you, we ought to assume the continuity of this promise from the Old Testament into the New Testament unless God clearly abrogates the promise and makes it clear. The land doesn't any longer pertain to Israel. And again, those who look for this specific promise of the land in the New Testament, I would say, where did God abrogate it? Where did God abrogate and terminate that? Can one show where it says the land has been taken away so that God will not fulfill that promise to Israel in the future? So Paul says that the calling of Israel by God and the gifts graciously bestowed upon Israel by God both gospel blessings as well as the blessing of the land these are all without repentance irrevocable next Lord's Day as I said we will consider some objections uh, and uh, to seek to respond to them as it relates to this matter of the land but as we, as we close uh, let's Praise God for his faithfulness to his promises. Let us give thanks that God is faithful to his covenant, to his promises. We are unfaithful. Israel is unfaithful. And yet God is ever faithful to his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in him, that is in Christ, are yea and amen in him unto the glory of God by us. All the promises of God in him. You know what? Paul says in Galatians 3 that the covenant made with Abraham was a covenant confirmed in Christ. He doesn't say that certain aspects of the covenant made to Abraham were confirmed in Christ, but he speaks of the covenant made with Abraham as confirmed in Christ. It is, therefore, dear ones, a Christian covenant. Israel will inherit the land when Israel becomes a Christian nation, not before. She will inherit the land with God's blessing when she is brought into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not before. Where would we be, dear ones? Where would any of us be if God was not faithful to keep his promises? We would be lost. There would be no hope for us. There'd be no hope for our marriages. There'd be no hope In our business contracts, there would be no hope for our salvation in Jesus Christ. There would be no hope for eternal life if God was not faithful to keep his promises. You see how central, how important it is that when God has promised, even in the Old Testament, unless he abrogates that promise that we continue to see that he will realize that promise. Our whole society, dear ones, I submit to you, would fall apart. There was not a faithful God to keep his promises. Our keeping our promises, even as weakly as we do, we would have no strength, we would have no ability, if it was not based upon the fact that God keeps his promises. All hope, whatever you're going through presently, in your life, personally, work, marriage, family, whatever the church is going through, whatever the nations are going through, dear ones, everything depends upon hope in the Lord and his faithfulness and his faithfulness take away that faithfulness of God and there is no hope there's only despair there's only hopelessness there's only condemnation dear ones there is our hope there's our hope in God, who is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I leave this with you. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We always look at our temptations, our trials, as being absolutely unique, whatever we're going through. Afflictions, illnesses, uh, work, uh, relationships, whatever it may be, no one's ever suffered like we've suffered in our particular situation. God says different through Paul. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The way that he makes to escape doesn't mean that we necessarily avoid The trial, the way of escape, means that he carries us most often through that trial. He upholds us and he strengthens us through that trial. The only hope that we have, that we will make it to the other side of that stormy lake, and we'll land safely at the other side, is that God is faithful. Turn to him. Let his faithfulness be your strength every day. Write it upon your mind, your heart, upon your hands, upon your doorposts. God is faithful. That's our only hope. Amen. Please Stand with me in prayer. Father in heaven, how we praise thee that thou art faithful. Our God, we confess our unfaithfulness. We confess, Lord, our weakness, how we so often give up or want to give up because it gets hard, it gets difficult, but thou art faithful. Thou dost never give up. And Lord, we cast ourselves upon thy faithfulness Lord it is thy faithfulness that leads us even to thyself to repent of sin it is thy faithfulness that draws us unto thee to keep thy promise of salvation that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved if there was not the faithfulness of God we would not even trust and thy promise for Lord we cannot trust truly trust someone who is unfaithful but we can only trust Lord ultimately with divine faith thou who art ever faithful our Lord we thank thee and praise thee for thy word for thy truth for even thy faithfulness to a rebellious nation like Israel God, uh, it is again thy faithfulness that will restore Israel and will bring them to faith and repentance even as it is only thy faithfulness that will bring all nations unto the Lord Jesus Christ to trust and believe in him. Lord, thank thee. And we give thee glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen.